is Danish Dynamite, the Superliga podcast, brought to you by footballindenmark.com. Welcome to the final installment of Danish Dynamite for the 2022-23 season and what an episode I have in store for you. To finish things, we're going to hand out a bunch of awards and pick through the final round of action, which was dramatic until the very end. And joining me to do that, I've got the two Caspers <laughs> are back, Casper de Lind, who has earned himself an award for most pod appearances this season. Woo-hoo! So I, 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 will, I will send you uh, the Faxi Condi-shaped uh, prize for that. <laughs> and Casper Pedersback is here. So welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. We might as well start by looking at the, the action from previous week because uh, although the title race was decided the week before, there was still the bronze medal and relegation uh, up for grabs. Speaking of title races being decided a week early, Casper, I wanted to find out what was, you know, what's your take on this? I, I know that you were you were feeling quite good about your chances of of getting the gold a few weeks back. Like what happened in the previous five, six weeks and and, and what's your take on it all? I think it started a little bit before five, six weeks ago. I think it started the second that we changed the coach and then also uh, sold off Andreas Schellop, um, which I hoped wouldn't have had that big of an influence. And of course, we can always discuss uh, letting uh, Fleming go and uh, bringing in Johannes. Uh, it's a bit harder to measure the uh, the change there. In, in personnel, but I think it was very evident to everyone who watched FC Neuschland that um, the blow of missing out on uh, Schillerup was uh, detrimental to the, the goal chances. And uh, you can look at the sheer numbers, how much did Schillerup contribute? Uh, so 10 goals in half a season, and then you can look at how much did the replacements actually score, right? So... It was just all in all a, a case of the replacements. So McCondes came in uh, only playing 476 minutes uh, in the half season, got injured, and then the uh, second best replacements didn't live up to it. Uh, that, uh, in combination with Epsico putting together a very good rhythm, meant that, yeah, it went the wrong way. And you were in the stadium for the final game of the season. What was the mood? Were people kind of happy to have the silver medal after a season where you were down the other end of the table? Or was it more disappointment that it wasn't a different colour? At the last game, we enjoyed ourselves. We had already realised the fact that it was all over. So there we were actually just uh, cheering on and shouting... uh, Europa, 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 and for the English speakers, we're back in Europe, right? So actually, we did our best to make it a party, which I think uh, it worked out pretty well for us. Uh, but the the mindset wasn't in the same place when we got trashed by Brunby five uh, one. I can say there it was a bit more cheers and uh, and a glass of uh, yeah a beer or five or a glass of red wine, right? So it was pretty bad at the end. Yeah, and I wanted to ask Casper P about that result, particularly because for me, that was probably the most unexpected result of the season, apart from, I guess, actually, maybe the the last Copenhagen derby. What was your take on that? Where did those five goals come from? Was it a case of playing without any pressure or was there something more at play there? It was a combination, I guess, of, um, of course, just sheer quality, of course, because uh, no matter that Bonby, they have had a, a pretty up and down season. Uh, it's still quality players there. And then there was this, 
undescribable uh, part of it. Uh, what that was luck, of course. Uh, if you look at the goals, uh, the game could have ended three uh, two as well, uh, and nobody would have uh, lifted an eyebrow. And then I have to say that you know, just five minutes into the game, I texted Casper uh, and said, "Oh, uh, Nag- Nagalo, he uh, he has one of those days, doesn't he?" And then I just got the reply, "Oh, I'm not going to answer you today." <laughs> so uh, it was, uh, and also you know, it it for me it also looked like uh, Norseland, they were struck a little bit, you know, uh, a bit of unfortunate, you know, bad luck, and then also a little bit of nerves uh, in in certain situations. Just you know, just tipped a close game, and I know it sounds ironic when <laughs> when it's the result is five one, but it was a close game. But then Bonby got the, this early goal, uh, and it basically um, fitted the. Uh, yeah, storyline for the game because then they could sit back, uh, wait, and then just uh, try and let Norseland uh, pass away through uh, this five-four block uh, in the back, and you know they never really uh, succeeded in time. And Bonby got some good goals and and also some lucky goals, and then you know just one of those days. Where would you rate the FC Copenhagen team this season versus the team that won gold last season? Would you say they were they were they were stronger, uh, weaker, or is it just a case that there was? Um, Stiffer competition this season. I think on paper, I'd say uh, they would be uh, they would be better, uh, but in reality, uh, they have been struck. You know, with the uh, injuries, uh, main guy Cornelius up front. Uh, he has played what three games? I don't know. Uh, I I don't even know if he has actually made what just one single goal in the in the league. Uh, you know, and, and they also got injuries uh, in the defense. You know, in the spring. And basically, also, they played without a, a proper number nine. So on paper, they were better. But in reality, they didn't perform that well. I think that's fair. Casper, would you agree? Yeah, I think in general, when you look at this FC Copenhagen team, even when they play their reserves, I remember the game when they played against us, where uh, half of Twitter was on the <laughs> other edge because they had to play uh, Peter Ankersen for a game for points. Uh, I mean, it's a former national player. He's had a pretty great career. Yes, he's not in the shape that he he was, but that's still FC Copenhagen's reserve. So I think the depth of this team is is big. And then I think uh, we need to salute the talents that they do have because they are now on a completely different scale and can uh, at least compete with FC Neuschland about having uh, some of the strongest players in Denmark below 21. So, uh, so in that sense, it's it's a pretty complete team, even though they've had their troubles, and maybe it's not been good enough to be two, three goals uh, better than their opponents every game. But even with the injuries, it is it is super solid. If you ask me, basically, it's the best team that won the league. It's the most uh, stable team. So I I also had you know I was uh, in the Medianos preview podcast a couple of times, and also in the pre. Uh, spring season podcast and also said you know for me at the time uh, Copenhagen was I don't know I think they were maybe number two at the time and Norseland was leading and I said my favorite to the title was uh, Copenhagen still because you know if you look at the the way you know expected goals they performed the most uh, like you know flat line uh, stable line where the other teams some of the other teams were bouncing up and down FC Copenhagen has most expected goals. They have most finishes on goal. They have quite a few more of these key stats that again indicates over a full year that uh, FC Copenhagen was uh, the best team. Then you can, of course, argue a lot of things. Were we all 
a bit taken by surprise that FC Nordsjælland was so good in the uh, fall season. Yeah, we were. Did we all think that that led to FC Nordsjælland? Or did we think that FC Nordsjælland uh, was better than they were because of that uh, period of time? I think we did. So FC Nordsjælland performed slightly over what they should. And then uh, reality hit yep. when uh, Schellerup went out. And also in uh, in the autumn, if um, Nordsjælland conceded uh, far less goals than you know expected to, and it's not that you know I'm not saying that uh, Andreas Hansen is a bad keeper, but most players, and also Andreas Hansen, also basically any other players uh, except the really top players, they regressed to the mean over time. And the way that Norseland got away with not conceding those goals in the autumn, they just basically just you know conceded what was expected for them in the, in the springtime, and also had to deal with the fact, as Casper said, the loss of Chelrop to Benfica. So you know it was kind of you know two things: one, uh, goals against uh, were regressing to the mean, and you know the other way, goals scored, they didn't get the. I call them extra goals. Uh, it, it's not that they count less uh, than other goals, but you know, don't get the unexpected goals if you uh, can put it that way. Yeah, totally. And even not looking at the numbers, I felt that that's what my that's what my eyes were seeing. That Hansen was far stronger in that first half of the season. Looking at the other end of the table, I was just before we started recording. I said to Casper, "I'm going to try and see if I can find the clip from." earlier in the season where he didn't even want to talk about Lungby's chances of survival because he said that look they're already down they've sold their best players you know they're just preparing for a season in the first division so let's not let's not even talk about them so <laughs> how, how are you feeling that that they managed the great escape and according to I think it was super stats it's the biggest margin that a team's ever been behind 16 points and then survived so pretty impressive feat I am so surprised uh, by Lungby at a winter break, I said, okay, they started to sell, you know, Adam Sørensen and, and other players. Uh, they were preparing for their life in the first division. And also all the stats, all the performance data said, you know, this is a bottom two team. But then again, you know, looking through the spring, it's not that I say they are the most clear survivor, but they managed to elevate the performances. So they made the games more even especially in the, in the in the in the top 6 uh, bottom 6 uh, playoff in the end they succeeded by making the games yeah as i said more even uh, more like you know flipping a coin and then they did just had the, they caught the momentum and uh, yeah and OB didn't at all uh, and lost the the nerves in the last game so i think it was it was reasonable could OB have survived yes they could um, but is it totally against the the, the data, the, the performances that Lumis survived? No, I don't think so. Yeah, so I think we can officially cross football expert of my uh, curriculum, right? So <laughs> uh, in that sense, uh, yeah, I went all in for uh, Lyngby going down. And I think, again, if we replay this season 10 times, I have a very hard time seeing Lyngby staying up. But again, hands down to the effort, uh, super, super impressive. And uh, I think some of their young players really uh, took a step forward as well, which I think improved the team uh, radically. And part of the reason why Alborg are going into next season in the first division is because they 
they messed up the final game of the season, which I, I said at the time, they couldn't have asked for an easier fixture. They were playing the only team from the relegation group who had nothing to play for on the final day. They were playing at home. Fans were really up for it. Uh, okay, they um, they were missing Alan Souza, but most of the most of the key players were there. And in the second half, it, they barely created a chance. It was bizarre. They were on the back foot. Um, Silkeborg missed a penalty, and the the goal came from them clearing the ball and thinking the danger was gone. Uh, and in fact, the danger was still very much there. And it, it just felt like a crazy way to go down. And at, at, at the final whistle, there were boos around the stadium, and I can kind of see why because the, the fans have been supporting them throughout throughout this terrible season for them. And it feels like often the players just didn't have it in them to to, to rise up to the level. It felt like that to me on the on the final game. Is that is that fair or harsh? I think it's fair because also, you know, when you look again um at the it, it OB got into the to the relegation uh, playoff riding uh, a high. They started good. Uh, I thought okay they might gonna pull this one off. Uh, but then you know from the last seven games, uh, just two times they created more than one expected goals uh, in those matches, and it it's hard to win a game when you barely create a chance to one goal. Then okay, you can say okay we don't concede many, but then again if you're not creating much, then you're only gonna get like you know one shot against you that's unlucky, and then you're gonna lose the game. So Obe for me, when you look uh, back at the last uh, ten games in the relegation playoff. It's not that big a surprise that they got caught uh, caught up in the mud uh, and and finally got relegated. Yeah, I mean, for me, Obi did a lot of things right when we had the winter transfer window. The thing they did wrong was, of course, when they brought in Hamrein, which oh, yeah. just completely pulled out the energy. Huge mistake. And I'm sure that Casper has supporting data that we see a team with Eric Hamrein and we see a team after Hamrein. Oh, yeah. Well, right? they, dropped, they dropped way below uh, zero and got into like, you know, uh, for a period of uh, games, they uh, they were around uh, minus one expected goals difference uh, in a period of games. So they you could really see like a, a blowout uh, from, from Robin in that. And I think the biggest mistake they made this season was uh, saying goodbye to Lars Fries. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I back that statement for sure. So for me, of course, they were unlucky with the Sousa injury because when Sousa was playing, it was a different OB team. Uh, but besides that, I also think it says a lot about OB that when you are in the final stint and you normally you would back the senior players in the squad who started the final game, Ementa started the game. 34 games or 33 games in a row, zero goals, right? So the confidence in some of these players that should help them. Talenta wasn't playing the final game either because of an injury. So a bit of unluck, you can say, in uh, the roster, uh, combined with the uh, players who needed to lift the team, wasn't able to contribute. So it's a very sad story. They've been in the league for 40-plus uh, years, and now they're out. So uh, I think it's it's one of these glass-half-full, glass-half-empty uh, moments so either you can say it's a chance to rebuild, or else you can say it's it's sad for the Superliga that we will lose one of the teams that can actually draw people's attention in and a lot of people in the stadiums, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and it was interesting. When Lars Fries made that move, he obviously was was chosen on merit for the, the work that he'd done at Viborg. And I totally agree that I think he should have had more time there. And I think that 
they are where they are now because they persisted with Hamrin too long. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if they persisted with him so long because he was experienced, had a track record, you know, had managed at national team level. And they thought, you know, surely this is the safest mm-hmm. pair of hands we can get. But actually, uh, as, as has been shown by Lungby, actually a, a younger, more dynamic manager maybe has, and I wasn't in the wasn't in the dressing room, so I can't say this, but it certainly seemed like Lars Fries had a bit more personality about him. Yeah, but basically OB was already uh, in deep water uh, when Hamrein was uh, both uh, hired and fired <laughs> as well. Uh, and also uh, basically when Lars Fries uh, was hired because uh, the first transfer window, you know, uh, Lars Fries, he wanted to play with, with the three central uh, defenders. Uh, they sell one of the central defenders, leaving him with uh, two uh, central defenders, uh, having him to play, I think, was Christopher Pallison as a, as a central defender. They they basically, they wanted him to do one thing, uh, but didn't give him the tools uh, to reshape the team uh, in his uh, spirit. It's, it's for me, the mistakes OB have made that made them uh, like, you know, when I was a first division team, they were made uh, a couple of years back, uh, especially when they hired uh, Inge Andre uh, Olsen. Uh, and he started to to make, to make these transfers in. He made a lot of, of young uh, transfers, uh, of, of young uh, players uh, in. And... Also, the whole Sifuentes uh, spell with him in charge. So for me, it's it's easy to put to to point the fingers at Lars Fries and Hamrein. But Hamrein, he was you know like he was hired from something he did. I don't know what 10, 14 years ago. I know mm. I don't even know when he did it. Uh, and he got a squad that wasn't constructed to what he wanted to play. So you basically, in one season, you went from Sifuentes uh, last year to Lars Fries, who wanted to play one way, to Hamrein, who wanted to play 4-4-2, who now uh, you see Oscar Hillemark wants a, a whole other thing. So Obe is like, you know, a ship sailing without a course. But the fact remains that this was a squad largely that had finished in the... I think they finished, was it fourth or fifth? Yeah. But, but they, they made the European playoff. And yeah. really the summer additions there were, were good additions. You know, Lars Kramer, Alan Souza, you know, these were, the, the, that squad started the season stronger than it finished, I think. Uh, no doubt. And I think that's also, I think it says two things. It says one thing is that the Superliga is pretty tight and it's pretty tight from number one to number 12. Yeah. Of course, you can argue that uh, FC Copenhagen will always be uh, the favorites when the season starts, but it's often very tough to figure out uh, who is going to be uh, the teams going for relegation. And if you're not sharp on the ball, then over time you just you just fall apart. And I think we saw that with OB. So uh, so again, a tight Superliga and poor management has led to this because you're completely right. The squad in itself was super strong and uh, it should never have ended in these kind of issues at all. The final bit of undecided drama from the weekend was the bronze medal, which is something that doesn't exist in English football, but it's something that people get quite excited about in Denmark. And there were two teams vying for it, Viborg and AGF. Viborg were playing FC Norgeland and only managed in a nil-nil draw. There was a fantastic late save by Andreas Hansen. And it looked like they were going to take it with that because with just over 15 minutes to go, AGF were 3-0 down against 10-man Bromby. And Casper, tell us what happened. 
Well, uh, lightning struck, uh, I, bas- I think. Um, yeah, uh, it was a combination of uh, Brøndby, even though they were a man up, they were letting AGF play high up the field. Then AGF uh, gets this, uh, it's unfair to say lucky goal, but, you know, let's call it a rare goal, uh, where he basically hits this uh, half volley uh, from the edge of the box uh, with a ball just hitting the ground. Just you know, on the on the way up, and then he somehow this striker who has only scored once before in the season against Bonpi also he hits this incredible, beautiful shot that just uh, flukes right into the corner. Then Bonpi gets nervous. Kevin Mensah makes a stupid mistake, but also you know like one where he's reacting in a in a reflex, leaving him with a red card and a gave with a penalty. You know, and then only one goal down. AGF just push on, and yeah, uh, stupid mistakes in the Bonby defense, and and also basically a game where you know Bonby could have won, you know, maybe with one goal, but AGF managed to you know just tip it to their favor and uh, make it a, a draw. Uh, it was a strange game, uh, but also very symptomatic for for the season of Bonby. And it's one of those results, I think, that maybe if the, the carrot of the bronze medal hadn't been dangling, they wouldn't have had it in them to, to come back from 3-0 down. But you mentioned the goal that sort of uh, opened the dam, that first goal by, um, I'm going to do a terrible job pronouncing <laughs> this, but Yele, Yele Duin. It was, yeah, we cannot help no, you, right? He's Dutch, yeah. so you can, you can say it in any way you want yeah. and we will not correct you. But the, that first goal... I almost had it as my goal of the season. It hasn't made it, but I think aesthetically it was just perfect. Yeah. But I would say you, on the Kevin Mensah thing, for me that wasn't a penalty. I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel about it. To me, that looked like a shoulder, and I, I can't really believe it was given yeah, as a penalty I, in a red card. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not that much into uh, the whole uh, football law situation and referee stuff. Uh, we are already talking too much about referees and VAR and. I, I, I honestly, I don't know. I asked uh, actually today a colleague of mine um, who is a uh, elite referee, uh, and he said, yeah, uh, because the, the tipping point was the fact that he was leaning to the side and then, you know, like it, it was, if it just hit him, you know, like when he was standing up, but he was leaning to the side that made him. So he said, yeah, he could understand why he got the, the red card and the penalty, but, you know, it's not an easy, uh, easy situation. That makes sense. But it capped an incredible sort of run of form that AGF have gone on since January. And I, I looked at the uh, I looked at how they were charting over the season in terms of their odds for a top three finish. And, you know, at Christmas time they, they didn't have a hope. And really since the the winter break they've they've been on an incredible run of form. And I, I think that going into this game they were they were favourites for this and, and took it home in Pretty dramatic style, but I think you know incredible work that that has been done there because AGF were I think a point off relegation last season, and I think if the season had been any longer, they might have come for that silver medal too. For me, there's a little bit. Uh, I'm actually super happy that it ended up being AGF ending number um, number three, <laughs> and that is predominantly because AGF they continued continued to attack, and Vibor when they came to farm. They just sat back and they wanted to just defend and defend and defend. And if you have a chance to win a bronze medal, and I think in Denmark it is a pretty big thing, and especially for Viva who hasn't won it ever, and you come and you only want to defend, well, then uh, I'm not too sad to see that it actually ended up somewhere else, even though they had the big chance at the end. So uh, for me, it was a bit of a, like, um, 
karma. Yeah, it was also uh, if you look again, you know, it's not that you shouldn't look at also the the performances on field, but you know, if you look at the data behind. You can also see a Vibor team that was trending down for the last four games. They created less than one expected goals. So if you look at like the uh, this uh, curve for the expected goals difference, it was just like you know, like it was uh, looking like this uh, ski hill, you know, jumping. Well, it's just like you know, slightly going down. It's it's not you know like a sudden drop. It was just like you know, slightly going down, 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 down. So for me, NAGF was basically going the other way around. Uh, so for me, it was uh, common sense and naturally that. They were the one to claim the bronze medals in this tight ending of the season. And before we move on to the end of season awards, there is still one game to play, which is the European playoff on Friday, which is excitingly now a local derby between Viborg and FC Michelin. Which way do you guys see this game going? I see, uh, I, I see, uh, Midtjylland. Uh, if if Viborg doesn't change the performances from the last games, as I said, I see a Midtjylland team. Uh, with the individual uh, quality, especially of Gustav Isaksen, claiming uh, the spot in Europe, um, if if Vibor doesn't well get a grip and also start to to create chances again. And my second reason why I wanted Vibor to become fourth was the fact that I wanted the game to be between Vibor and and Herning. Right, I think it's going to be super super exciting to see. I actually think that uh, Vibor will pull it off. I think they've played some pretty good games against uh, Midtjylland. Uh, and uh, I think it's going to be super exciting. And I actually expect a small win for, for Vibor. And I hope they do. Because, again, this game should never be. It should just uh, be the the team that ends fourth that gets the European yeah. qualifier. I agree about that one. Yeah, one thing that people have been saying is that Michelin have a better chance of earning coefficient points, which which I can, you know, they played Lazio off the park this season, for example. So I, I can see how that is valid. But yeah, I, I personally think Viborg are going to win this. And I think that it would be great for them to make it past the qualifying stages. But, you know, as, as we talked about off air, the sorts of teams that you face in, even in the Conference League qualifiers, are, are really tough teams for Danish teams to, to come up against before you've reached the groups. So it'll be, a, it'll be a tough test for either of them, to be honest. It's also a little bit of an arbitrary measuring standard to pick your team on who will have the best chance in Europe, for me at least. For me, it's the team who's ended the highest in the league that deserves it. And therefore, I don't care at all about the coefficient <laughs> points. I just care about having, uh, having the right team play. Yeah. Cool. All right. I'm going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to go into handing out awards. Welcome back. And we're at the exciting part of the season where we can start handing out awards. And to kick things off, I wanted to share with you guys my team of the season. And you can tell me which players don't make it into yours and which ones do. I think that's probably the easiest way to cover three people's teams. But I'll start off in goal. And I've got Patrick Carlgren as my goalkeeper of the season. And just bear with me because I know that he probably hasn't been the most eye-catching goalkeeper, but he's got the second most clean sheets uh, in the league, best save percentage, best saves per 90 at 4.8. And the next 
player to him in that list was uh, Matej Delac with 3.8. So he's head and shoulders above that statistics. But most impressively, 16.7 goals prevented. And the next player in the list on that particular metric was Andreas Hansen at 7.3. And when you look at Ranners, they're the lowest scoring team in the championship group. I think preventing 16 goals is the difference between them being in the championship group in the first place. So Patrick Karlgren makes it for me. Does he get into either of your teams? He does make it into my team. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, we have a slam dunk. He's in my team as well. I think it is exactly as you said. It's one of these cases where you don't necessarily recognize it all. And I personally don't watch all 32 runners games in a season. But looking at the sheer numbers and the data behind, uh, I lean towards him uh, as well. Yeah. And also, I also, if I had to, you know, like just put one comment into, onto him. If you look at the teams beside the keepers, and you look at the, the end position and you look of what if you try to measure uh, how much uh, the keepers uh, they have affected the end positions i think Karlgren is the one who has carried his team the most the highest i know he's not in top uh, runners is not uh, you know ending in top 2 or 3 or 4 but making it to the to the championship uh, playoff I think he has uh, had the most influence and carried his team uh, the most, the fast. I don't know if we would have had a different conversation if Delac was actually the reason why Horsen stayed up. But now he didn't, right? So for me, that also became a decisive moment that even though Delac has had a fantastic season, going down, you've just not had enough influence. No, agree. The interesting thing is both Delac and Kalgren suffered quite serious injuries this season uh, and have had to kind of deal with that disruption and so to be in the conversation for the top two keepers in the in the league despite those I think is great testament to to both of their quality back four I can almost guarantee that we're not going to agree on but I've got Elias Yella at left back Jan Bisek and Adamo Nagalo at center back and Anton Gai at right back I can make a case for all of those, but I'd be I'd be keen to know which you wouldn't keep in your back four. So I can start. So here, the this is always an interesting uh, exercise. So if we say that Yelat has played enough on left back because he hasn't played a lot, then I can move a few players around. If I need to pick a pure left back, then I would pick Martin Freise. Uh, but I'm not... It, it really depends how many games you need to have played in the right position to actually fill the role. Because I actually don't think Elias Jelot has been that well playing on the left side. I think he's been really, really strong on the right side. But on the left side, I think he's been, let's call it a human. I operated with a little bit of creative liberty here. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I mean, if we work with creative liberty and we can transfer his skills from right back to left back, then I can. I, I, I don't disagree. Because I actually think the left-back position was one of the hardest to fill. We don't have so many strong contenders. But a contender would, for me, for sure, be Martin Freise. Because I think he's had a smashing season. I think he's contributed with goals also towards the end. And he's been a stable factor. And the second he got injured, FC Neuschland's <laughs> defense uh, went down in performance. Yeah, I uh, I agree about uh, Freise. Uh, especially because he has played that position. Uh, Jelot uh, is great. But he's a right back, uh, and at the right back, I agree about Anton Anton uh, Guy. Uh, in the middle, um, I might I had uh, selected uh, Burki from from Wibo, 
uh, as one of them, and Bisek as the other one. Bisek, Bisek is, is, you know, not to come around, basically. Yeah, in- interestingly, that was the that was the other name in the in the mix for me, um, and I was actually weighing up whether to put him ahead of Bisek or not. But Bisek just shaded it for me. But yeah, I, I think that Bergie's been been really impressive too. So I also have Bisek, and he was my first pick mm. out of all. Yeah. And then I have uh, two other contenders. So I actually uh, don't have Nagelo because his mistakes have cost a lot of points. But I have two alternative cases. I think Vavo has been a beast in defending. Uh, and then I think uh, the way that Kian Hansen has set up the the game from the get-go has also been extremely impressive. So uh, so for me, I can also go with Burgi. It's not a problem. Uh, but I think that for me is is the four defenders. So Bisek, Kian, Vavo and uh, Burgi as the options. Actually, mentioning that Nagalo has cost some points, I think I remember seeing that he's one of the only players with two red cards this season, and I think he's given away the most penalties. Is that right? Yeah, yeah true. Yeah, so it is. it has been one of these. I think on his top level, he's showed himself that he's great enough to go uh, wide and broad. But also but at, at the bottom, you know, he uh, he makes mistake like the one with the Bonby opening goal where he's get uh, caught in between uh, Nikolai Vallis, who is making the pass, and uh, Ohi Omojamfu, who makes a run in the back of Nagalo's uh, space. He leaves behind him. And it actually makes Kian Hansen look stupid, but it's not Kian Hansen who is actually stupid. It's Nagalo who opens up the space that Kian is trying to, to cover so for me, uh, Naglo is no go because of the mistakes. Uh, but I go with uh, Freze left, uh, Birgi, Bisek in the middle, and then uh, Anton Guy at the right. So we agree on Guy and we agree on Bisek, and we have uh, more or less an understanding on the other positions. Yeah, and I just want again, I think it's I think it's tough also to leave Yeler out yeah, because yeah, yeah. I think he's been a he's been a, a superstar. And for me, he was the starting right back as well. Uh, so I just want to to mention him in in at least the run in for for the right back position, and I think yeah. he will be our starting right back for the national team within I don't know three to four years. Yeah, 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 I think so. In terms of a midfield three, I've gone for Mads Bidstrup, Jeppe Gronning, and Victor Clayson. How are you feeling about those selections? I have instead of you know Bidstrup has uh, has had a great season. But uh, to make a diverse team, I also had uh, Marcel Römer in consideration uh, along uh, Bistrup, you know, kind of fighting for the same spot. But then I had Jeppe Gröning as my safe choice at the back end of the midfield. So, yeah, basically the same. Yeah, I have uh, Gröning, Klaeson and uh, Jakse, actually. And the people that I feel is uh, left out potentially that could be mentioned is uh, Lea, Bunde, Bistrup. I think it's uh, super strong contenders. Yeah, and the interesting thing actually about Marcel Roma this season is that he played quite a lot out of position. You know, he was mucking in as a third centre back at a certain point, and you know, he just uh, has has played wherever he's been asked, and has has been really important for them. So I think that's a that's a great outside shout. My front three is Elias Ashuri, Gustav Isaksen, and Ernest Nwama. Any dissent on those three? I have a feeling we're going to hear a Nikolai Valley's call. <laughs> At some point. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know. What makes me leave him out of the team is the fact that he fell out of the ga- too many games, uh, not because he's a bad player, but because he was, in my eyes, misused to help babysit uh, other players in the Bundesliga squad. 
uh, in the build-up. Again, you know, you know, then you can argue and say, okay, he made the most assists in the league. Yeah, okay, he, he's still a great player. But if you have to look at both individual and team performance, it's hard for me to bring him on board on the fact that Bonpi has had like this up and down season. So for me, the, the right side, so Isaksen is a sure thing. Noama is for me a sure thing. I think the left side is tough because no one has had a full season where they've been very strong. Dorami started weak mm-hmm. and then came in lightning speed. When FC Copenhagen became good, Dorami was uh, a one-man army. Aturi has been absolutely fantastic, and I know I'm not allowed to mention him because it's not a full season, but Andreas Schellrup has also been uh, second to none. So uh, so for me, I would probably end up leaning towards Aturi, but again, it's super tight between him and, and Dharam. But if I have to, you know, just let my blue and uh, yellow heart a little bit, yeah, like pick a player, I'd say that, you know, Isaksen, definitely, uh, for me, he's a great talent. Um, and also a shame that he isn't higher in the spring nomination for player of the spring uh, in Tipsblad. But I say uh, Isaksen, Nuama. And then to have this true number nine, I go with uh, Ohi Omojamfo, who... In a lot of the season, bad performing team still makes a lot of goals and still contributes with, I think, was it 13 or 14 goals, uh, despite playing in a team that didn't create much uh, offensively. Uh, so to get a, a true number nine, I, I pick him. But, you know, again, then you can also pick Patrick Mortensen. So. <laughs> yeah, I think Ohi's positioning is is up there with the, the very best in the league. He always finds himself in really dangerous spots. I was going to ask... Do you think there's a shout that Mortensen should be in this team or were there too many penalties? To... <laughs> if you look at the importance he has for for the way AGF is playing, uh, he definitely got a, a fair spot in, the, in in a team or at least in a nomination for a certain team. I think he, he, could, he could be as well. But, you know, if you had to, then you say, okay, too many penalties, maybe. But again, he's a good player. Yeah, so he's not in my team. I can say that. No, no, he oh, doesn't. Okay. He doesn't uh, come into my team as well. But he got he uh, he got a mention for the team, but not <laughs> not, uh, not making it. Uh, Noama and Isaksen for sure. And if I had to leave one out, if you say okay, you can only pick two of the three, I've said I would leave uh, Ohi out. Just to circle back on Ashuri, one of the numbers that stuck out to me was the fact that he's the best dribbler in the league. So he he has four successful dribbles per game, but also. He's second in terms of players who win the ball in the final third at 1.4 times. So he's really good with the ball and he presses really effectively without it. And I think that that combination is the perfect uh, archetype for a modern winger, particularly in Viborg's system. He works really well, but that's kind of why he made my uh, front three. I have to say uh, a player who impresses me uh, huge is uh, Philip Bungor from uh, Ranas. I think mm. people tend to forget he's only 18 years old. He has played 50 games, more than 50 games in the league, and he performs at a high level, and he's 18 years old. So I think he's. Yeah. It, it's not that he, I say that he should be in the team, but a runner-up, and it would be basically, it would be, as I see it, it would be for Klaassen in midfield. Oof. But not, Oof. you know, not... I'm not saying that he is going to replace him. I also have to be true to my word because at Emiliano, I said Victor Klaassen was one of the best players in the league. And then, you know, to, for me as a Bonnie fan to say that, I, re- I really have to mean it. <laughs> no, but I think I think he's a super player. And I think uh, uh, if we had to predict players that will for sure play a huge role next season, 
he he's a, he's a top 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 contender and uh it's not too far uh, too long time ago that he just took the mick out of Eric Marksen in a full game so uh so yeah i i think he's he's super strong and i think we've just seen the beginning of of his career in terms of the players that we all agreed on uh, we agreed on Patrick Carlgren i think we agreed on Elias Yella in some shape or form alongside uh, Jan Bisek and Anton Guy we agreed on Victor Clayson and Jeppe Gronning and we agreed on Ernest Noama and Gustav Isaksen. So those players made all of our teams and it was close between the rest. But I think that those players were the first names on the team sheet. What I want to do now is put you on the spot and ask you, you can only pick one. I don't want, I don't want any substitute choices, backups, runners up. One player, who gets your overall player of the season, best player in the league? Gustav Isaksen. Ernest on fire. Your defense is terrified. No, for me, it's uh, it's it's been a it's been a great season for FC Norseland. So I also take that into account when I look at for me an MVP because it's about how they've shaped the team. It's about how they've made the team perform. And uh, for me, then uh, Nuama uh, stands out loud and clear as a person who's had a major influence. Interesting. Yeah, I I do wonder how much. Uh... The statistics have been skewed by the fact that Isaacson was able to play 10 games in the in the relegation group, but he has been absolutely outrageous this season. 23 goals and assists, most goals per 90, uh, sixth in terms of shots on target and really big performances like that Lazio game where he was just, it was probably the performance of his career. I was there when he scored a hat-trick against Viborg, so I can totally see the, the shout for and him. And it's also because of the way he has transformed himself from being this... Uh, kind of uh, ineffective uh, winger who actually now produces more of the things he's good at and less of the things that he's not above average at. Uh, he's not a great passer. He's not a, a shot creator with creative passes, but he do makes a lot of one-on-one attempts. He do makes a lot of crossings. He do makes a lot of shots. He uh, has the most shots per 90 of the players in the Super League. And he has transformed himself from, you know, you know like being uh, an outside winger to make this kind of Arjen Robben-ish performance where, you know, the funny thing is, you, you know, you actually know what he's going to do. The way that, you know, the most defenders in Europe knew what uh, what uh, Robben was going to do, but they still couldn't, they still couldn't uh, stop him. So uh, for me, uh, I have to say uh, he has had a great season. After that hat-trick in Viborg, I actually interviewed him. And going into that game, he had said that he wanted to shoot more, uh, essentially, and that he was getting into positions where he could shoot and was opting to, I don't know, take another touch or pass. And it was going into that game that he had told himself that he was going to shoot more. And a hat-trick came from that. And I wonder whether that was the thing that that boosted his confidence for the the running of the season, because he certainly was on a, a... an upward trajectory from that point onwards. And he also had to take up the mantle with Anders Dreyer going. So he would be high up in my my list, but my personal MVP was Ernest Noama as well. And I think that just the the fact that he was stepping into the shoes of Simon Adingra, who had such a season last year, and he, he was just churning out performance after performance. And even after Sheldrop left, he, he took up the mantle. And so, yeah, for me, it's Nuama, but I can uh, I can see merit in both names. You can sing the tune as well if you want. 
<laughs> I'm not going to subject people to that, but <laughs> maybe at a game. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, oh, I'll join you in the stands and I'll sing that Super. if he's still there, which I'd very much doubt he will be. I um, probably need to go to La Liga or something like that <laughs> to sing it. So next award is breakout player of the season. So this is for someone's someone playing their first full season in the Superliga, which could be Ernest Wilmer again. I went for a different name here. I went for Elias Oshuri. Who did you guys choose for this illustrious award? See, this is where I get uh, tactical because, you know, I uh, had uh, Isaksen as the uh, most valuable player, uh, but Nuama is the first season he plays. So I have him as the number one. Spot on. Yeah, so for me, it was actually, I had uh, Elias Aturi as well as an option. And then I actually ended up with Lucas Hyde from... Oh, yeah, um, also a great choice. Um, because again, we I, I mentioned it earlier, uh, some of the young players, they uh, took it up completely a level in, in the spring season. And I think uh, Lucas Hyde has been a, a super, super stable uh, defender, also playing a few different roles. And I think his ability to play this man marking role but covering at the same time a very big distance on the pitch has been pretty phenomenal and i think he actually has seven minutes from two seasons ago but uh i uh i gave him the the benefit of the doubt and said it is his first full season and then if we are to mention shout outs i think uh to be a slut sayer, uh from ob also showed that that is a man that we will see a lot more to in the future Dan, who runs the Lingby BK English account, is going to be delighted that a, a Lingby player was uh, a recipient of an award. So, uh, well, well done to uh, well done to Lucas. Hey, um, manager of the season for me was uh, it, it was a, a challenging one, but there was one candidate who for me was uh, above the rest, and it was uh, Uwe Rosler. The fact that he came in, he took this uh, he took this AGF team who were going nowhere last season, made some smart additions, and he's got them playing a really exciting brand of football that has people flocking in their numbers to uh, Ceres Park. Tell me I'm wrong, guys. Okay, so for me, it was it was super tough. It was super tough because I think what Nestrup has done has been pretty damn impressive. Uh, he came in at a time where they were still playing uh, European competitions. They were they had a ton of injuries, and it's a bit like Pep Guardiola not getting the award in England. It is also the expectation, and therefore I said, who really did something that I've I did not expect? And I'm again I'm back to Lyngby and Freya Alexanderson because I I had I couldn't in my wildest dream foresee that this was happen. I could foresee uh, Nestrup getting more than two points in a row. Super, super strong accomplishment. But for me, uh, Freya Alexanderson is a is a bigger accomplishment. I was landing in a spot between Fries in uh, Viborg and also Uwe Rösler in, uh, in uh, AGF. Um, not that Nestrup's uh, performances isn't uh, impressive, but if you look at uh, what Viborg has been building with the size of the budget, um the the structure uh they play the continuity uh the way they stick to this plan got me pretty much going for for Jakob Fries but then again midways through the season uh Rösler uh, changed uh, AGF from when I saw them play in Brøndby in game was it one or two in the season um I I have seen them go from I think 352 to this small 
intriguing free for uh, free ish system uh, with a lot of power a lot of uh, pressure on it so i ended up going for for uber in in agf good choice <laughs> um brilliant well the uh the, the next one is going to be quite tough because there were so many but game of the season i'm gonna i'm gonna put this out casper d what was your game of the season try and think as impartially as possible <laughs> yeah so uh, so for me um actually the game of the season was i was in the stand myself i was with a uh, 30 plus thousand uh, supporters watching uh, fc copenhagen win 4-3 against uh, agf and the reason why uh, this game was uh, pretty damn amazing was not necessarily because of the level the level wasn't at a very high, it wasn't the best of the Superliga that we've seen, but seeing the crowds going completely bananas, being in front uh, 2-0, to seeing the disbelief of losing the title, being behind 3-2, to uh, actually uh, winning it all at the end. Uh, uh, For me, that was a, a pure spectator game. It went back and forward. And it wasn't just one team being better than the other one and crushing FC Copenhagen three-one. It was a it was a, a true uh, it was a true football moment. And I could even I didn't enjoy the result, but I could truly enjoy the game in itself because as a spectator, it was it was so unusual business. So I actually have a FC Copenhagen AGF four-three. Wow, that was actually the game that I picked too, and it was between that and the second leg of the of the cup semi final, FC Norgeland, FC Copenhagen game. That was just, I mean, both legs of that were, were, were fantastic. But given the yeah. given the podcast is focusing on the Super League and not the not the cup, I also went with that one, Casper. I'm guessing that an FC Copenhagen victory. Uh, at AGF didn't make your game of the season, but I might be wrong. Well, uh, if I have to to put on my objective uh, view on the league, being a uh, witness to that game in the television, the free uh, for free game, uh, Copenhagen versus AGF, even though that I was cheering for <laughs> for AGF, uh, I have to say that game because it can it, it had so much in it. Uh, one team leading, one team being down, one team, yeah, uh, to a last drama drama goal made by a player who was played at, playing out of position. Um, you know, as as if I have to put, yeah, you know, like really true being objective, uh, this is the game. It's hard not to when it's uh, decisive for the for the title. Yeah, it had a bit of everything, didn't it? And. I think often these uh, these these games do throw up an unlikely hero, and yeah, I don't think anyone was expecting Kevin Dix to get mm-hmm. a, an assist and a goal uh, in that fashion. But yeah, he stepped up in a big way, and the game was something special. So I, I'm I'm jealous that you got to be there in the stadium, Casper. But amazing that of all the games we've agreed on one between us, this is the first award <laughs> that we've agreed on between us. How about goal of the season? This one was. Very, very tough, but I've gone for a goal from March, which was uh, Franco Tongia for Obi scoring a, a scissor kick volley, which was an incredible bit of acrobatics. 
made even more incredible by the fact that there was another player trying the exact same kick about two meters to his right. So there were these two players going up for bicycle kicks in, in uh, synchronicity. But yeah, that was my goal of the season. It might not have meant much in terms of the, the league, but just as a pure piece of goal scoring, that was a beauty. What have you guys got? It's almost kind of, you know, like a self-torment. Uh, but um, <laughs> the way that, you know, like it was kicking off the comeback uh, for AGF uh, this Sunday, Yele Duins, you know, we can pronounce his name any way we want, uh, basically. <laughs> but even though that it was just like, it was both symptomatic because it was, it was a great goal. You have to say that, you have to admit it. Uh, but it also very symptomatic for Bonbu season. For this, yeah, uh, the way it has rolled out that this is like, you know, like this freak goal that makes another team have a comeback in a game where Bonbu is leading. So it's kind of, you know, like self-torment, but that goal. And for me, it is Andreas Schellop's goal against Randers, where he put two defenders aside in a phone booth and he slotted in in the uh, bottom right-hand corner, which, again, is just a testament to what this young man can do and hopefully will do a lot more of in the future. I remember that goal very well. That was phenomenal. There was another one where he uh, he did one of his kind of trademark cut in on the edge of the 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 box and curled it in the far corner i c- can't remember who it was against but there was one of those in particular that it was just very aesthetically pleasing it's always nice when it goes off the inside of the post yeah i think maybe it was against the OB. i think that's it the final award to be handed out is the funniest moment of the season this is uh, like you know the worst per- uh, podcast uh, making ever because now i can describe the goal but i can't remember who made it <laughs> or, 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 or what game it was in. But I just remember this uh, defender uh, making a ba- uh, back pass. I think what, oh, I, I think it's starting to come back. Was it Gardenman who makes this pass towards where he thinks Lussel is? And Lussel is not completely at all where that, that pass is going. So that's, uh, that's my moment. I remember that one. Yeah, that was a classic. <laughs> I had James Gomez. Back in October, he got a red card for a second yellow and was heading down the tunnel. And the referee went to VAR. About two minutes later, they pulled James. <laughs> they pulled James Gomez out of the dressing room and said, "The referee wants to have a word with you." And he went down. He knelt down and started doing his boots back up. And the referee said, "Yellow card cancelled. Straight red." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so he came all the way out to get sent off again. <laughs> And he just it was a super tough moment for him. I mean, uh, and he was all, as you said, he was all the way down in the tunnels, right? So it took quite a bit of time as well. Yeah, I just could, I just couldn't believe that um, he thought it was getting overturned, and uh, and actually the punishment it, it was, just got worse. It, it was overturned. <laughs> I, there was also uh, this moment I don't re- recall uh, in what game. Just that there was uh, this spring where Ojamfo uh, and Bonbu. He uh, picks up the yellow card that the referee has uh, dropped uh, further down the pitch. And then, you know, the classic runs to him and uh, gives him the yellow card because, b- before handing him the, the card. You know, like, and I like the thing is uh, that the referee was just, you know, like smiling, getting the yellow card. You know, like, great game. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, so for me, the funniest moment is also a bit of a tragic moment because the funniest thing for me over the season has been the joke, uh, Mikael Johansson. So the man in charge of, you can say, all the referees in Denmark, him setting a line on what is the hand situation and what isn't the hand situation, it's been, uh, so in the sad way, it's been the joke of the season to actually see 
the inconsistencies. And if I had to pick one thing that needs to change for next year, it is that this gentleman gets escorted out of Danish Football Association as quick as possible, and then we get in someone who uh, owns the task a bit more. Oh, this is just a depressive, uh, funny moment. <laughs> but for me, it is, it is funny to see that this guy is no, still no, in no, charge. I'm just feeling, what no, no, I'm just feeling sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but it is. It's it's crazy to see, and yeah. the inconsistencies are, are insane. And there's uh, no reason in the hands uh, judgment anymore because you know, like every time it hits a hand, we're just like you know, what what way is the wind blowing today? Yeah, yeah, and that's one thing. But the second thing is that I think it's completely okay to make a mistake, but get people to own up to their mistakes, stand in front of the crowd. I think a lot of things that. The lack of communication, of course, starts with with this guy, and uh, it's just it's not serving a good purpose for the Superliga. So uh, I know it's a bit of a harsh one to end up with, but I think it is a funny moment in the sense that he's a joke. You've opened a can of worms now because I feel that this is a topic we could talk for a long time about. I was listening to an Arsenal podcast where they were talking recently about how to change the game for the better. And one of the things that came up was the fact that in a game where one goal often decides a game, having a penalty for a handball that happens somewhere in the penalty box, but isn't heading towards goal, isn't on target, feels incredibly unfair. And maybe there's maybe there's some kind of rule change that needs to happen that means that we don't get these ridiculous handballs that have nothing to do with a, a, a shot on goal that, that are occurring miles away. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that would help a lot. And I think, again, it, as you said, football is a game of uh, many variables and few goals, and they just have way too big of an influence uh, in the games. And... Uh, uh, we've seen it over and over again, and uh, a, a bit more of a consistent line would be would be uh, preferable. Absolutely. Well, we have handed out a bunch of awards now. I'll be delivering them personally over the next few weeks, uh, <laughs> like a, a Danish football Santa. But we're going to wrap the show there. Before I do, I just wanted to say it's been an amazing time that I've had doing this podcast this year. And not only have I got to speak to you two fellas several times, but I've also welcomed players, coaches, journalists, scouts, fans to the show and done the thing that I thought was missing most when I first started watching Superliga Football, which was an English language podcast that that covers it in some sort of detail. So I wanted to thank you two in particular for giving up your time throughout the season, but also to all the guests that I've had on here. Uh, it's been a huge privilege for me and I, I really appreciate it. It was. A- I think we are super thankful for, for you to put the spotlight on the Liga and it's always fun to discuss. So thanks a lot for your your efforts. Yeah, it's a pleasure being here. Amazing. Well, it's only six weeks before the season starts up again. So enjoy yeah, the break. I, I need uh, the break. <laughs> I need the break too. <laughs> but um, it, it, enjoy it. And I can't wait to do it all again next season. So I'll catch you then. Thank you. Talk to you.